Hello everyone. Welcome. We are gathering here today to engage in the wholesome practice of studying the Dhamma, learning about the Dhamma and practicing the Dhamma. Wholesomeness. Wholesomeness is an important part of Buddhist practice. We talk often about being kind and generous, being ethical. But the greatest goodness, the greatest wholesomeness, is in the mind. And so when we practice meditation, we talk about wholesomeness as well. When unwholesome qualities of mind exist, we cultivate wholesomeness in the mind as a means of counteracting those unwholesome states. So if someone's very angry, hateful towards someone else, has a, a grudge against them, they should cultivate kindness, friendliness towards that person, wishing for them to be happy, maybe free from suffering. If someone has lust or desire, they should cultivate the perception of the body, parts of the body, the hair, the teeth, the nails, skin, flesh. as a means of counteracting counteracting the delusion of desirability of the body but mindfulness mindfulness is a wholesomeness that counteracts a deeper unwholesomeness and it's the unwholesomeness of delusion of ignorance. When you practice mindfulness, you see the nature of things. You just see things as they are. You start to realize things about yourself that you didn't know. You start to realize things about the, th the qualities of mind that you cultivate. You start to see them more clearly. You see your bad habits, you see your good habits, and you see the difference between them. Everything is just clearer. And that clarity is the greatest wholesomeness. That clarity is what leads one to Nibbana. It's the leads one to freedom from suffering. It's the antidote for delusion. So 
We're here today to provide support for all of you who have dedicated some of your, some or little or a lot of your time to the practice of mindfulness, practice that leads to seeing clearly, supporting it by answering your questions. If you have questions about mindfulness, about your practice, post them in the chat. Chris is here. Chris is here again, as usual, to collect your questions and ask them, and I'm here to answer them. We ask that you don't expect questions that aren't about meditation, that aren't about mindfulness. Don't expect them to be a high priority. We might answer if we get around to it. But the purpose here is for supporting the practice of mindfulness meditation. If you haven't read our booklet on how to meditate if you're not familiar with this tradition at all I recommend you do that first before you ask questions because it's quite likely, quite possible that your questions are answered by just learning about what it is that we practice if you're interested in going further with this practice how can I go further then you can check the description to the video. There's a link to our at-home meditation course. There's a link to the booklet, a link to the course. You can just do an at-home meditation course, which means you just do some meditation every day, and we talk once a week. We'll lead you through week after week of mental development training, mental training, the greatest wholesomeness greatest goodness all right so I'm ready if you are Chris from here on I'd ask that please don't post anything in the chat that's not a question and Chris will be deleting anything that's not a question from here on until we get to the end of the program, then you can start talking again. Okay, let's begin. Sensations of the body, such as feeling, or can a more accurate label, such as dense, lightness, vibrating, tingling, earth element, labels relating to the elements, be used? Some of those, um, yeah. Oh, earth element I wouldn't use. That's a little too intellectual. You should note how you experience it. Note how it's experienced. But the other ones are fine. You pointed out pros of feeling helpless, hopeless. What is the difference from this and feeling authorized to not do our duties, be lazy, passive, victimist, because we are not in control of anything? 
authorized to not do our duties. It's different because duties are just something you do as a matter of course. Being lazy. Being lazy requires attachment. You'll find that as you become more natural and more going with the flow, you're actually less lazy. You'll find yourself fairly passive. That's not really a bad thing. Victimist, um, you'll have to define that for me, but I, let me think. If you're thinking of it, like let's think of some of the criticism people would have, like letting people walk all over you maybe. Um, I mean, to some extent, it's not a problem to let people walk all over you, to some extent. Again, it comes down to what's the right thing to do, and a person who is clear of mind, it's just the clarity of mind that leads you to do and say the right things, and it's not really um, passive in that sense of just letting people walk all over you. But to some extent, you're just going to not engage with people who try to hurt you. You're certainly not going to try to get them back, right? What happens when people hurt us? What do we do? We try to get revenge for a person who's enlightened, doesn't you know, so a person who is, feels powerful, they feel empowered to seek revenge or justice, what they say. What is justice? Justice is very important, but true justice is being having a just mind, having a mind that's free from any delusion. It doesn't mean you just let people do lots and lots of evil things. It means you do what's right, which usually involves telling the truth. It can even involve perhaps protesting in the sense of speaking up when the truth is not being told, calling people out, but that's just natural. You become helpless. You have to understand the way it's experienced in practice has nothing really to do with people or, or you know, people and, and our social engagements and relationships and our duties in the world. It's all concept. It's not what's really happening. Helplessness is on a, on an experiential level, moment to moment. It's relating to hearing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. That's where our actions occur. They don't occur on that sort of macroscopic level. They occur, occur on what might be called a microscopic level, a very granular level. And that's how it's experienced in meditation. That we can't we can't control our experiences. We can't stop ourselves from seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or feeling or thinking. What really changes those bigger things like the actions and the engagements and our responses to injustice and so on are our uh, qualities of mind. It's our state of mind, so our clarity of mind. And when your mind is very clear, you just naturally act in a much, much better, much more wholesome way. And there's no sense of control or not control at that level. It's all been predetermined by those moments of experience and how we related to those. When someone says something, it's not them saying, it's the hearing and how we process the hearing and the triggering that goes on on a momentary basis. Hey, that person said something bad. I mean, it creates anger. It creates a sense of injustice or, or self-righteousness. I don't deserve that, etc. So when we talk about helplessness and even hopelessness, we're talking about relating to our experiences. In a meditative level, it's not about doing anything. It's about um, trying to control your experience. 
that's how it'll play out when you sit in meditation. You shouldn't you shouldn't apply it to the macro level. The macro level, the the engagement level should all be based on clarity of mind. You shouldn't think about am I in charge? Am I not in charge? You should try and be as mindful as you can and let yourself go with what you see through your clarity as being the right thing to do. And just don't worry about it. You'll get it wrong sometimes and sometimes it will cause problems. But on a macro level, that's not really important. Sometimes you can do a completely pure act from a completely pure mind and bad things come from it because the world is like that. It's unpredictable. There's so many quote factors. You might say, oh, okay, well then this is the right thing to do. And lots of people get hurt because of it. But you can't really say because of it. It's just that it, it was it was unlucky or or you you can just completely be fed the wrong uh, input, right? And and all of that wrong input could it, it is possible that could lead an even an enlightened person to do something that ended up being wrong just because it was just circumstantial. That's why you you, you can't really we don't really try to figure out the right thing to do, uh, or we don't worry about trying to to control uh, and make the right decisions and so on. So, so by the right thing, it simply means what appears to be the thing, the pure and the the kind and the generous, or etc., the wholesome thing to do. Your actions shouldn't be on that level. They should be on the level of experience. Being aware of your state of mind, any kind of delusion or arrogance or conceit, any kind of prejudice or partiality, all of that is what will lead you to really mess things up and much, much more likely is going to lead to suffering. How important is it to be mindful of the fear of death during meditation? Anything that comes up, you should be mindful. So if you're afraid of death, say afraid, afraid. If it doesn't come up, you shouldn't go looking for it. Everything that comes up, it's important to be mindful of. Most especially things like fear, because they become problems if you let them fester. We turn them into problems. While meditating, I feel like my spirit will leave the body and I'll die. What to do about this? Just say feeling, feeling, or worrying maybe it is. If you're afraid of that, say afraid. If you're thinking about dying, thinking or imagining. That's just a state of mind. If, you're, if your spirit does leave your body, this actually happens for some people. Um... What was the advice? It's a funny story. There was a monk who left his body and he did this regularly. And somebody came into his room and found him. And they thought he was dead. And so they called the doctor and the doctor came and they gave him some kind of injection. And because of the injection, whatever it was, I don't really know, they he couldn't get back into the body. He couldn't come back. 
And so by the t when he finally made it back to the body, he got very upset at them. He said, what are you doing? I couldn't come back. So my teacher was telling this story, I think, or someone was telling this story. And no, it was an old teacher that I was listening to. He said, if you're going to do that sort of thing, you should uh, maybe put up a sign saying, I'm just meditating. <laughs> I'm not dead. How many months or years of intensive dedicated practice in a monastery are necessary to go all the way up to Nibbana? I'm at a period of my life where I can afford to take... Um. It's not really, Dhamma is akaliko, you can't really put a time limit on it, you can't really say it's going to take this long or that long, it's a part of what akaliko means. But generally, it shouldn't take, if you do intensive practice, and I'm not going to say anything about Nibbana or anything like that, but it shouldn't take more than a month to get some significant results in the practice if you're doing it intensively. Mahasi Sayada said as much said exactly that in one of his books and I I I think that's an important thing to say and I think that that is correct. About a month. And of course it, it that's going to vary to a great extent depending on the individual. Can eating processed foods like sausage once in a while prevent us from being successful in desire abstinence and hence meditating? I mean abstaining from desires like masturbation, which can be a sin. I don't think eating sausage has anything to do with masturbating. <laughs> no, I mean, or de desire. Um, I know some religious traditions believe that. I think it's I think it's highly highly unscientific doesn't really have any basis in reality. I mean there is some sense that eating less is uh beneficial. But such a small it really isn't in the long run. You know, eating a lot probably is bad. Eating just enough to survive, eating that's more important. Than, uh, than what you eat, because desire is a mental thing. There, I mean, there are hormones involved. I would say try and drink water if you can. Drinking water seems to help. But it's such a... Th those are such poor substitutes. I mean, they really can't do, do very much in the long run. Really, the only way is through meditation, coming at it from a mental the mental side. Um, and masturbation, I wouldn't, 
be too concerned with it. It's not it's not really a sin. I mean sex isn't a sin. Sex is unwholesome, but but only in the sense that any kind of liking of anything is unwholesome. It's not going to prevent you from from cultivating wholesomeness. It's not going to make you a bad person. That's just going to slow you down. There's two sorts of levels of bad things. Things that are really bad and things that are just uh, hindrances. So they drag and they slow you down. Sex and masturbation is in the latter category. It's not in the category of what's really evil or sinful. If anything was going to be a sin, we, we don't really use that word, but if we are going to call anything a sin, it would be things like killing, stealing, uh, adultery, like cheating on someone, which is really awful, um, lying, drugs and alcohol, and things like that, like torturing, of course, rape, of course, things like that is all, that that's sinful or evil. You can, we would say evil more than sinful. I don't know, I think sinful has the connotation of being um, being condemned. And it's not about anyone or God or something condemning you or Buddha condemning you. It's about it being evil and unwholesome, cause for suffering. Is it possible to become addicted to meditation? I don't really I don't know how a person see I don't I don't know about this question because unless this is a person who is concerned that they are addicted to meditation it's usually so we get this question on on a, on a regular fairly regular basis and it seems to be just a curious sort of question so I'm not really keen to Come back to me if you have if if, if please if you're going to ask this question let me know that you really think you're addicted and what can you do and then we'll try and help right? because it doesn't sound like a can you help me about my meditation problem sort of problem did we run out of questions like that so I get I mean I, there is an answer here kind of a yes no sort of answer but it's not really that important of a question if you follow the practice then you'll know what to do when you when you're addicted to anything and the word addicted itself is pretty conceptual if you like something or want something that's more what's going on what can we note while driving Well, sitting is a big one. Seeing, you have to be a little bit careful. Make sure you're not going to fall asleep because meditation can put you to sleep sometimes, especially when you're in, engaging in a stressful activity like driving. So you might want to, rather than doing, just be careful. And, and if you find yourself a little bit drowsy, instead of meditating, do some chanting. Learn some Buddhist chanting. It's really useful for during the time you're driving. So just be careful. When you're driving, sometimes you have to engage in um, being focused on the dri the act of driving rather than focused on like conceptual things like oh, there's a car there. I mean, that's not you can't just say seeing, seeing, or you you won't react to it, right? 
it's not entirely true, but it can be, it's just that it can be problematic. So, I mean, do note some things. Best to note the emotions, because that's when you're going to get stressed and so on. But sometimes uh, you're better just to focus on driving and maybe again do some chanting. I almost fell asleep meditating while driving many, many years ago when I drove before I was a monk. And then I started doing chanting. That helped. How can I maintain mindfulness throughout the day? My mindfulness is drained through the day, and as I get tired, I go more on autopilot and do and say stuff I later realize were not my true feelings. It's practice. It's just like how do I maintain mindfulness throughout the half hour or hour I'm doing a formal practice. It's a training. That's what we're training you to do. you got lots of other habits or ways of interacting or responding or living your life. And this is just one more that's trying to compete with all of those. So it takes time for the others to be weakened and for this to become the normal way you interact with the world. Really, the best way is to spend more time doing formal practice, spend more time focused on being mindful. Try and take everything you do as a meditation object, meditation practice. It just takes work. Today, while I meditated by the park, I noticed certain visual distortions, as if the ground was wavy, breathing. How do you note this? Seeing? Why does this happen? Yes, yeah, seeing. I mean, it can. there's many reasons why it could happen. It could happen because you're very sick physically, right? That's not probably what's happening. In meditation, it is a reasonable thing to uh, expect to experience because you're engaging in somewhat disconnected... Uh, states and by disconnected I just mean disconnected from con concepts like remember when we see things we're not actually seeing what we think we're seeing what we think we're seeing is how our brain puts together what we see we actually only look at points we don't when we see a picture we don't actually look at the whole picture we look at points of the picture and our brain puts it together in a in a comprehensive package and tells us and, and that's how we see what we think we see. Oh yeah, this is a a, a road, oh, and we see the continuity of it. But all of that is, part of it is conceptual. And you disconnect from some of that activity when you're saying things like seeing. And you start to see and focus more just on the light, the raw data. And so that can lead to, when it's interpreted by the mind, some distortion. It can lead to the mind making its own, making incorrect connections, like you'll start to hallucinate. you start to even see pictures popping out of the ground or the carpet or the floor. It's especially, it's especially apparent when you try to do practice like late into the night or some people practice all night. When you're staying up all night, it's really common to see pictures in the floor. And yeah, you're just not seeing, that's fine.
If the sensation of touching is larger and more diffuse than the size of a coin, is that okay? Should we try to feel only the coin? If so, is that, reducing to the coin, something that comes with practice? Yeah, it'll come with practice. Yeah, try and keep it about the size of a coin. If you notice that it's bigger, then just say knowing or something like that. Try again. The the failing to do the technique is, is an important part of the practice because it's part of what leads to reactions. So don't be concerned if you're failing to do things the way they're supposed to be done. Be more concerned with the the reactions to it. How frustrated you get. Remember to note that, for example. The wanting, the ambition to do it perfectly, that sort of thing. It builds patience to do things wrong. Doing things wrong builds patience. Making mistakes builds patience. Do you offer any meditation courses that are more reflective and answer deep-seated or subconscious issues within us? I don't know that such issues are important. I think um, trying to seek reflective answers is misguided. I mean, it's not really going to do for you what you think it might do for you. Trying to find reasons why you are the way you are, for example. Trying to understand things intellectually. It's too weak. It's too abstract. It can never compare to seeing what's actually going on behind all of that conceptualization. I mean, this answers the most deep-seated issues. Subconscious, I would, it's not a word I would normally use, but it, it answers this most deep-seated issues. I mean, there's a part of it is subconscious. Subconscious in the sense that it's not related to a specific consciousness, it's just a habit or a a, pro a proclivity, a tendency, an inclination, or a potentiality. We're poten we have the potential to get greedy or angry or deluded. And that, this answers all of that by, by cultivating clarity. Once you see clearly, you don't have the potential to give rise to bad states of mind. So the clarity is, is much deeper than any kind of reflection. It's much more basic, much more present, here and now, momentary, real, much more real. During the sitting practice, I almost always can't return to the breath. I note what is happening, although it's unclear. But the returning from the sensations to the breath doesn't seem to work. May I have some advice? By breath, you I assume you mean the rising and the falling? Yeah, because you know what is happening. Uh, well, note the sensation until until it's it's no longer holding on to you. If once the sensation is gone, you can't return to the breath, Note whatever stopping you from returning to the breath until it goes away. Eventually there will be nothing left and you'll, you'll be able to go back to the breath. 
I mean, as soon as you can, try and go back. And if you can't, not whatever it is that's stopping you. It's just going to take a little bit of practice there. You'll get around. You'll get to it. You'll you'll work it out. Just be patient. During meditation, I note my thoughts, but will I ever stop having thought? Will I ever stop having thoughts? Um, rather than answer your question, let's talk about why you want to stop having thoughts. So it may be that you're not noting the disliking of the thoughts, the judgment of the thoughts, the stress that comes from the thoughts, the tension, the fatigue that it brings. You should note all of that. Because that's a much bigger problem than thoughts. So I, I don't think it's worth even answering your question because it's not really the goal or it's not really our focus. It's not what you should be worry, be thinking about or working towards. What you should be working towards is not reacting to anything like, like thoughts, for example. So try and see them, try and be okay with, okay not with them, but okay even if, you're thinking, no matter what happens, to not be uh, subject to stress because of it. Thinking is just thinking. Vinyate vinyata matang bhavisati. Let thinking just be thinking. I have a body full of deep knots due to past trauma. Meditation is starting to clear that. Does Nibbana require that the body gets completely free of those inner knots, or is it independent of that? It's independent of that. We're not trying, and be careful that you're not trying to get rid of deep knots. So um, try to let go of the idea that the deep knots are caused by past trauma. You're probably right to some extent. In fact, it's probably not the deep trauma, but it's because of the continued reaction to the trauma and other things. There's lots of reasons why your body is the way it is. But uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is you have those deep knots and try to dissociate them from any kind of, oh, it's because of this, and oh, if I get rid of this, I'll be free from trauma. It's really actually not like that. The, the knots, the tension, I guess, if that's what you're referring to, is just tension. It should be noted as such. And again, like thoughts, it's not about getting rid of the tension. It's about not reacting to the tension. So if you want it to go away, try and note that as well. If you don't like the tension, note that as well. If you're worried about it, etc. Body's not important like that because it's going to get old, sick, and die. It's, it's going to be lots of trouble. And if you're not mindful and and unattached to it, it's going to cause you lots of stress. So, I mean, Nibbana absolutely cannot be dependent on that because that would be some kind of um, well, no, it has nothing to do with the physical. 
but you know, just be careful that you're not trying to get rid of them because that would be some kind of aversion. Whenever I note a thought and come back to the breath, the thought sticks around for a long time, and I have a hard time focusing on the breath. How do I deal with it? So with thoughts that are persistent, you can note distracted, but you can also note if you're interested, liking or disliking them, you can note that. Note the reaction to it, like usually liking or disliking, or worry or fear or whatever it might be. It's just thinking, and if it's just a lot of thinking, you just say distracted, distracted. Some days I keep getting lost in my thoughts while meditating. Am I doing something wrong? Are those bad meditation days preventable? Any suggestions as to what to do during those bad days? You're most, I can't say whether you're doing something wrong. If you really want to know, and if you haven't, I'd recommend doing a, an online medita at-home meditation course. We have a, a system set up where you can sign up and we meet once a week and I can help assess your practice. And if you have questions, we can deal with them as we go and I can lead you through the course. It will really help give you confidence and sort of the reassurance of the right way to practice. Um, but... Just because you're getting lost in your thoughts, that in and of itself is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. So if you are doing something wrong, it's not because you keep getting lost in your thoughts. You keep getting lost in your thoughts, no question, because you've developed the habit of getting lost in your thoughts, of losing yourself, of getting, of, you know, diving into your thoughts head first, you know, wholeheartedly. So that habit would have to change for you to not get lost in your thoughts and we're trying to replace that sort of habit with a clarity where you see thinking just as thinking and don't get caught up in it and there are no bad meditation days um, there's only moments so rather than try to worry about your days feel bad about your day being bad well try and have a meditation schedule do some pra formal practice every day and try and start slowly, slowly, to engage with things like eating in a mindful way, showering, and when you're on the toilet, take that as a meditation, when you're cleaning, any physical work you do can all be an object of meditation. It's usually not the thought that gets you lost in it, it's usually the emotion. I don't know if you've even read the booklet, but um, if you have, you can try and note some of the things in there if you haven't read the booklet. And again, consider doing the at-home course if you haven't done that as well. When our mind doesn't want to do something, should we negotiate with it or force it like there is no other way? So in, in worldly sense, you might have to force it. Like, I don't want to go to work today. Well, yeah, you probably have to force it. But from a meditative perspective, it shouldn't be about forcing. It shouldn't also be about negotiating. It should, should be about clearing up the delusion involved. Because when the mind doesn't want to do something, that's aversion. And so you should note that. 
and the clarity of mind will allow you to do it, do it or not do it, not based on whether you want or don't want to do it, but whether it's the right thing to do or, or a proper thing to do. After meditating for about 12 to 20 minutes, particularly sitting meditation, I get a headache and I discontinue meditation after that. After that, the headache remains for some time. Is it because I am new? It's probably because you you don't like the headache. So discontinuing meditation because of the headache is problematic because it's reinforcing the aversion. It's taking on the mindset, mindset of trying to get rid of the headache not liking the headache, not being able to tolerate the headache. So it persists painfully because of the aversion. When you sit with a headache and you just note it, pain, pain, or aching, aching, even just noting the tension when there's only tension, you can start to experience the headache as just, as just tension. The pain goes away and it's just tension and then you can just keep meditating. It's not about making the tension in the head go away, it's about observing it in such a way that you're no longer upset or reactionary towards it. Any advice for worries about losing identity and ambition as we are practicing? Well, it's an easy one. It's the worry that you have to worry about. It's the worry you have to focus on. Say to yourself, worried, worried. Meditation makes things better. Don't worry about that. Or note if you're worrying, note worried, worried. Because meditation helps you see what's good about and what's good and what's bad. So if you see something's bad, you'll just give it up you don't see that something's bad, you won't give it up. For how long a day would you recommend lay working people to meditate? At least an hour a day. If you're really dedicated, two hours a day. And that's formal meditation. Of course, you can try to be mindful throughout the day. Try to work up to an hour is a good minimum. Can my noting be fairly rapid, such as rising, thinking, falling, if the thinking ceases right away? No, I wouldn't do that. Don't try to just note everything. If there's thinking, just note thinking, and then if it's gone, go back and wait for the next rising. I mean, don't try to be too quick about it. Be 
patient and slow things down a bit. During noting, when should we be descriptive instead of general? Example, guilt versus distraction or thought. I, mean, I don't see there's there being a categorical difference between those three words. If you come, if it comes to as thinking, then you'd say thinking. If you feel guilty, then you'd say feeling or guilty. Guilty is a bit tough because it's mostly just a disliking and a, an upset feeling. Worry, it can be worry as well. You might want to dissect that one a little bit. If you're distracted, then distracted means when you're thinking too much, then you would say distracted. When I meditate, I feel a sensation on the forehead, but when I notice it gets stronger and does not go away. Any tips? There's nothing wrong with that. We're not trying to make things go away. We're not concerned if they get stronger. Seeing that it gets stronger is helping you see that it's not under your control, that it's not you who's determining whether it gets stronger or weaker. You don't have any control over it. It comes because of causes and conditions. It might get stronger, it might get weaker. You can notice if it gets stronger, but mostly just notice it. If it's tension, you say tense, tense, or feeling, feeling. And also note the worry or anything about it that might arise. Does sex or masturbation before meditation disturb the meditation? Of course. They're definitely going to disturb your meditation. I mean, maybe not that meditation, but the thing about sex, masturbation, is it involves very intense desire followed by an intense uh, gratification, right? There's uh, there's brain processes involved, but there's a great gratification. And the thing about being gratified is it does away with your desire temporarily, but it also increases the habit of desire or the, the process of desire, so the next time you want it even more. So it may be that your next meditation is perfectly fine uh, and, and could actually be better because you're not distracted by that. But you've really caused some problems for yourself because you're going to come, it's going to come back with a vengeance and get worse and worse as you go. Again, these aren't things that are evil and terrible. It's just going to get in your way of your, your mental development. See, because in fact... It might feel like your practice, if you suppose you have sexual desire and you practice meditation, it can be quite uncomfortable because you have to deal with that sexual desire. That's the point. If you practice after you've been gratified, even after you, you, you give in to an eating craving or an entertainment craving or something like that, it's, it's easier. But um, that's not the point. I mean, that's a problem. Making things easy is a big problem. Meditation has to challenge you. That's the whole point. You won't. You can't really train yourself. It's like weightlifting without weights, basically. 
Can we meditate more? You cut off there. I asked, can we meditate more than I No, you're cutting off. I think maybe you have a audio problem. Can we meditate more than an hour at once? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Don't recommend for doing doing more than an hour of sitting or walking at once. So if you're going to do an hour, do half an hour walking, half an hour sitting. If you want to do more than that, you can do up to one hour walking, one hour sitting. But af at that point, if you're going to do more than that, do one hour walking, one hour sitting, and then one hour walking, one hour sitting again. I don't recommend generally doing more than an hour of, of any given posture. Generally speaking, I mean, there are exceptions. Can journaling help with meditation and being mindful during the day? Would you recommend one to write about his feelings, thoughts, and emotions? It can be helpful. I would, I would hesitate to go too much deeper than just the basics. What sort of things arose? Journaling seems a bit much. Writing down points about like every even every meditation session, the sorts of things that arose, I think can be helpful, yeah but it should be pretty basic, like there was anger, there was uh, thoughts of the past, there was pain, there was calm, etc. Had trouble finding the rising and falling even, questions that arise, that sort of thing. Is noting one thing after another, just once, noting too quick? Should we at least note a thing three times before noting something else, so we see what we note more clearly? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about the three times or anything. Try and note it until it goes away. And if you note it like too many times and it's already gone away, that's fine too. Because seeing that it's gone away is a good thing, so you're seeing the cessation of things. So like with thinking, even though it goes away quickly, you can just say thinking, thinking a couple of times. But once it's gone, don't you know, once you realize it's already gone, then you stop. Basically that. Note it until you've realized it's stopped. You don't have to note just once, thinking, okay, it's going to stop after I note once, until you actually realize that it's gone. But once you note something and it goes, try and go back to the rising and falling. How does compassion fit in the meditation? If meditation is just observing everything, including thoughts, is that compassion, thinking about people and thinking how they all suffer? So it's a different practice. If you want to practice compassion, which is recommended, can be quite useful, but but really should be used when you have a problem with compassion. If you're cruel to people, if you have problems with cruelty, if you don't have problems with cruelty, you really don't need to practice it. But if you feel like you do, then you can take time and instead of instead of practicing mindfulness, practice compassion. Those people who you wish suffering upon, make a wish. May they be free from suffering. It's, see, there are Buddhist traditions that emphasize compassion as a basic practice, who even 
uh, equate wisdom with compassion, and we certainly don't do that. That's absolutely not the way we uh, teach things. So, wisdom is seeing things clearly, and as you can see, as you're aware, it's quite different from a practice of compassion. Compassion is one of the four divine states or ultimate highest worldly states. They're divine. Compassion, friendliness, um, joy in the sense of joy joy for others, joy for the, the accomplishments of others. So it's like the opposite of wishing harm on some, or it's the opposite of feeling sorry for someone bad things happen to them. It's feeling happy for people and appreciating. Maybe appreciation is a good translation, but it's expressing appreciation for others. When something good comes to them, instead of being jealous, basically. So if you have a problem with jealousy, you can think of people who are accomplished and feel good for try and feel good for them, cultivate that. And the fourth one is equanimity, but this is equanimity towards beings, so not being partial towards any being, thinking of all beings as going according to their gamma, not feeling sad or upset when bad things happen or in rejoicing when your friends have good things happen to them because you like them particularly. Being being equanimous and treating all beings equally. It's another practice when you're partial, when you have partiality. Those are all valid supportive practices. How do we note, I am seeing, or the act of seeing? I am asking because I have to translate it to my language. It doesn't really matter. Normally it would be I am seeing, but it really doesn't matter. Probably I would go with I am seeing just because that's how the Pali has it, but it really isn't a, really isn't a difference. That's just language. When meditating, should I be focusing on my problems and insecurities or whatever appears in the mind? So I don't know if you read the booklet on how to meditate, but I think it should provide answers for that. I would recommend doing that. If you're really interested, you can sign up for the at-home course as well, but read the booklet. Provides, I mean, so basically, you may have actually read the booklet and it's not clear, but basically, you focus on some simple physical object like the foot moving and the stomach rising and falling. And when something takes you away from that, whatever it is, note that thing that took you away. And when it's gone, go back to the breath, back to the stomach, or back to the foot. Would you recommend celibacy for serious lay meditators? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I would. If we have pain and thoughts at the same time, how do we decide what to note first? Should we note both, like pain, thinking, pain, thinking? Or note just one thing until it goes away. 
not just one thing until it goes away. Okay, I have to go a little early today, so if there's any more important questions, let's get them done with and, and end it there. I haven't gotten a chance to transfer this one to a card yet, but the question is, where should the noting be in meditation? Should it be a word in my head or just pure knowing? It should be pure knowing. No, I mean, it should be a word, but not in your head. It should be related to the actual experience, wherever that is. It's not related to the head, usually, unless there's a feeling in the head. If you do see words that are in your head, you should say seeing, seeing, or something like that. Okay, that's all for today. Thank you all for coming. Good questions, good group. Thank you. Appreciate you all. Thank you, Chris, for your help. Sad, it is good.